Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Good morning. Welcome to Talkback Gardening. Welcome to the first weekend in November. Good morning, John. Good morning, Deb. Good morning, gardeners. And a special, special good morning to those who are doing such a wonderful job at watering their garden because conditions are so dry. Question is, how long are we going to continue to have dry conditions? And how long before we get some sustained warm weather? It's been relatively cool. The perception is it's been cool out there. And the person who's going to tell us all about that is Darren Ray. Darren, of course, is independent consulting climatologist, and he'll be along with his uh, three-month weather outlook very, very shortly. Stay tuned particularly as to uh, those two questions. How long before we can expect some rain? Or maybe put it the other way, how long will it continue to remain dry? because that's so critical from a plant's point of view and a garden watering point of view. And the other area, of course, is the temperatures. Are we going to have, during summer, heat waves or heat spikes? And that will have a big influence on your tomatoes and some of your uh, fruit and veggies. It sure will. And John on the text line, Henry at Delamere, says, No rain equals no water in the tanks. The longer it's dry, the question becomes what to let die. After years of work, it's brutal. And can someone ask Darren when we will get a break from these murderous southeasterlies doing more damage than the sun? The weather coming back to the wind again. Yes, so stay tuned. We'll have it, Darren, on in just a moment. Uh, Also, we've got a new photographic competition to launch a little bit later this morning. I'm so excited. Yeah, to be able to see photos now, I think, is brilliant because uh, it just makes a big difference having me having to try to drag out sort of how big it is or small it is or what it looks like. What sort of green is it? If I can see it. uh, (laughs) The only downside, of course, is, of course, listeners can't see the photo, so I need to be aware of that and and make sure that they, as listeners, are are of aware of the kind Mm. of plant we're talking about. That's right. So our text line does now accept photographs, although that's not how I'm asking you to take a part in the photographic competition. But stay tuned on uh, what you might win and how you can take part in it. We're very excited about it. And I have two brand new November ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away a little bit later in the program as well. And on this month's cover are some heavenly hydrangeas looking absolutely beautiful. I do love wearing a hydrangea in my hair. And they are so um, wonderfully large and gorgeous. Uh, but of course, we want your calls. So call in to get in the queue for questions to John Lamb. The number is 1300 222 891. And we value your comments as well. And you can send them through on the text line 0467 922 891. As an independent consulting climatologist Darren Ray spends quite a lot of his time going through weather information and this results in a wonderful three-month weather outlook specifically for home gardeners. It's quite unique and available to ABC Saturday Talkback Gardening listeners. Now the thing is Darren is looking at outlooks not forecasts and there's a significant difference. And you may recall we, uh, we, that Darren mentioned uh, back in May, winter could be down 50% in terms of rainfall and spring could be down 75%. Spot on. Last month, he said in October, his outlook was October could be variable in terms of temperatures. And we could expect some temperatures in the 30s, and we got three days in the 30s, not many, but some. But he said they wouldn't last long, and there'd be a lot of temperatures in the low 20s. Spot on. So, what lies ahead? (laughs) Uh, Darren Ray, good morning and welcome to Talkback Gardening. Yeah, good morning, John. G'day, Deb. I've got that image of you with a big hydrangea in your hair. In my head. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, so just to clarify, yeah, so um, so was talking about um, winter rainfall maybe being around about 75% of the average um, pretty generally for South Australia and um, and spring about 50% of the average, and that's, um, that's borne out uh, pretty well. It's maybe a touch drier in some places, um, like the Air Peninsula in spring, but... Um, yeah, so I feel pretty, uh, yeah, pretty pleased to have gotten that 
pretty close to the mark. So, so uh, the big question, of course, we need to ask is how long before we can see some uh, significant uh, rainfall? And uh, maybe, uh, I mean, temperatures have been averaged, but we, we all, many gardens are looking for a sustained period of warm weather. Uh, without t- going into too much detail, is there a, a quick answer to that one or do we need to drill down a bit? Um, yeah, so quick. So quick answer is um, like so. We're, we've been talking about it, the positive Indiacian dipole event for months, and we're right in the middle of that at the moment. So, Indiacian temperatures to northwest of Australia are cool and average, and it's warmer over near near Africa. So, right in the middle of that, and we've got we've also got right in the middle of the El Nino event that's um impact, that's coming in from the Indi- Pacific Ocean as well. So, we've got that double whammy going on. Uh, for South Australia, that positive Indian dipole is particularly important, but the combination together basically, John, um, basically means sinks down the atmosphere. Um, so the atmosphere tends to subside more. So for anyone out there who's, particularly farmers who are familiar with the Southern Oscillation Index, that that goes goes negative. So that's basically meaning that the air pressure is being measured at Darwin are um, higher than usual because everything's sinking down. That clamps down on the rainfall, so we've had um, not a lot of rainfall through um, the last couple of months, and that's basically that that influence uh, sinking down, clamping down the rainfall. So any tropical activity that we get is really inhibited and um, can't really do much. Well, you've been and saying been, that, that, that that's what's going to happen. There's a system, and as a result of those systems where they are, that's what we're going to get. The question mm. now is looking ahead. Is there any sign that the existing system is, is, is about to change? So... Um, so, I mean, Henry, Henry's question from Delamere highlighted the southeasterlies, just highlighted the sort of complications in terms of the connections with the mid with the mid latitudes and the, the weather systems sitting over the top of us, um, in terms of the like the ridge of high pressure and where that's sitting. And those connections are, um, between the tropics and the mid latitudes are, are, are pretty complicated. But basically, what we're seeing is there are lots of high pressure systems sitting in the um, sitting in the bight and. Um, not in the Tasman Sea, so we're seeing quite variable temperatures. Um, so go southeasterly, you get a little, get some days where it's a little bit more, a little bit more northerly, and it warms up a bit. Then it goes back into southeasterlies. Um, so essentially, the short answer, John, is um, for the rest of the year, we're expecting pretty much the rest of the year, we're expecting more of that sort of thing to continue. So the positive IOD clamping down things. It's looking like it'll die out around about um, as we go through December, and probably and we'll get on to December in a minute. Um, but this sort of sort of very old pattern does look like it's there. But the but everything's shifting as it does through this time of year, shifting further south. So it does mean we'll see more of the warmer that warmer air of the interior starting to come down over us. So um, if we take a look at that sort of that high pressure ridge that's been across there, and that's been responsible for those southeasterlies, as you mentioned, uh, yep. is that likely to move north or south? And depending on where it moves, what, what's the consequences? So, so basically, this time of year, as we um, as we move through spring into summer, it's shifting south. So that's um, that's basically because of the tilt of the Earth's axis. So everything's everything's shifting south this yes. time of year. And so that's exposing us to more and more of that sort of heat that's over the interior. Um, but those, you know, where the weather systems are sitting um, depends on how much that gets dragged down. Oh, so, okay. So, so there's the high. The, so the, the high pressure moves further down, and it just yeah. means that as it moves, uh, it's dragging northerly air in. And if we take a look at the temperatures inland, they are very, very warm compared with what we're getting. So that, that, that it'll continue to, or it'll start dragging in hot weather. Yeah, so um, so I guess I mean, the way, but the value of the systems determine is um, you know whether or not it, whether it's prolonged heat. So um, and with that, you're looking for high pressure systems sitting in the Tasman Sea, dragging northerlies over us and dragging that heat down. And that actually that's not what's happening. So which is interesting. Um, so basically, what it means, John, is what we're looking for. October is um, we've got the atmosphere sinking down, clamping down on the rainfall. There's a you know, we've got sort of temperatures back in the, into the 20s through next week. There's a bit of a system coming through this time next week, um, but it's really going to struggle to try and do anything because it's it's all being suppressed. Um, and that's and looking at the forecast, that looks like it's probably our best chance for getting some rainfall, and I doubt we'll get much out of it. So 
We're looking at a pretty dry November, John. Okay. Oh, so so can when, I just when did in? you say that rain? When did you say that rain's likely to be the best bet? Well, um, Friday, uh, sort of Friday, Saturday next week. Oh, a bit right. Of trying to have a go but it's so so suppressed and look, looks like there'll be some really patchy middle level light you know spots of rain out of it but it doesn't look like it's going to do much of anything really and that looks like it's our best chance of rain this month okay so keep watering is the message from a gardening and point of view what about temperatures yeah. darren how are they going to play out across november yeah so um so uh, you know next sort of at, at the mid-month we've got this sort of mid-20s um uh mid 20 sort of conditions um and we'll you know we'll sit, we'll probably probably get to a day day or two into the sort of 30s um around these sort of weather weather systems but then it looks like it shifts up a notch in the second half of the month so it does look like that sort of transition everything moves south a little bit more and we do transition to something a bit warmer so it does stay a bit more subtly solidly in the sort of hot mid high 20s low 30s sort of territory from then on so yeah, it's been been a sort of a mildish variable, but still above average October. Um, it does look like it'll start getting a little bit more, a little bit warmer in the second half of November. November so, are okay. we going to have above average temperatures for November? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Right. Yeah. And and below right and very much mm. below rainfall. Um, but, 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 but once, but again, it's it's not looking like we'll see that sort of high sea in the Tasman Sea sort of conditions that drags heat down for sustained periods of days. So it still looks pretty variable, not super extreme. Um, we you know, we'll get some hot days in there, but doesn't look sort of particularly uh, nasty in terms of heat wave territory, but, you know, no, still but, warmer than average. But from a gardening point of view, providing you add water, oh, I think it's going to be good gardening weather. So that's November, and uh, as you indicated, uh, as we move through November, uh, uh, the temperatures in particular tend to sort of move up a notch. We go into December. What can we expect? So, again, there's not, not much in the way of indications of rainfall right through um, most of December. Oh, good. It gets, gets a little bit interesting right at the end, John. Um, uh, there's a pretty... So, so when, I'm, when I'm looking at the, the weather patterns this time of year in particular, what I'm looking for is the, what the tropical waves of activity are doing over northern Australia. And there's... Um, there's Sort of, uh, there's the Madden Dune Oscillation we've spoken about, and there's two others. Um, they're a bit quicker and a bit harder to forecast, but all three of them are coming together in the last week of December. And basically, what that suggests is, you know, we've got a pretty good chance of getting some um, some rain happening in that last week of December. The last so week of December, time. Deb is looking at me. <laughs> Christmas Day, will that be impacted? Yeah, I think, think quite possibly. It's, I mean, it's hard to. Um, and I mean, it's been tricky because it, the, the the tropical activity reformed pretty significantly since we spoke, um, the, you know, a month ago. Um, and you know, who knows? It could well do that again. But at this stage, what we're seeing is this pretty strong combination coming together in that last week. Um, and it's, I mean, the timing of that this far ahead is really hard to sort of determine. But basically, what it suggests is we could see a little bit of heat, maybe around the 20, 20 20th or so, building up um, as we lead up to Christmas. Um, and then at some stage, you know, we, we could see some um, some sort of input for moisture from the north um, coming through. Um, it does look like it could be actually more post Christmas, but you know, but essentially, there's around that sort of last, through that last week, there's looks like an increased chance of some some rainfall happening. So overall, for December. What are you saying in terms of average temperatures and average rainfall, above yeah, or below? Um, yeah, above, above average temperatures, definitely. I mean, everything everything from here right through to autumn next year is above average temperatures. Um, and uh, so, you know, there's nothing below average. Um, and that's that's pretty, obviously, very that's very typical for El Nino conditions. Um, so there's there's nothing nothing below average showing. Um, it's just really a question of how much above average, and um, I mean it's you know it's looking likely to be at least a degree above average, um, yeah. maybe one one to two degrees, and and obviously dry until that last week. 
It doesn't look like there's much in the way of sniffs of rainfall until that last week of December. There'll be a lot of eyes watching and uh, waiting and seeing just what does happen in that last week in December. So that then moves us into, I suppose, uh, summer. I mean, December is summer, but uh, January, February is that critical period. Now, many people have got their tomatoes in, their their summer veggies in, they're looking good, and uh, the thing that they don't want are heat waves. You have been very, very good in 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 interpreting what might happen during the last two or three summers and it's whether it's waves or spikes we're going to get hot weather that's inevitable but uh, will it the heat come in waves or spikes are you able to uh, work through that one yeah um so one of the things that's re- was really startling is i was looking at the bureau of meteorology's water information page and the soil moisture levels and this butte map of um soil moisture uh current soil moisture levels and I switched back to this time last year and the st- difference is completely stark. So last year we had well above average soil moisture levels across South Australia and Australia. And this year we've got um, very low um, soil moisture levels for this time of year. So the soils are dry um, and that means the, the sunshine and the heat gets taken up really easily and re-radiated back out as, as heat. Um, and so, yeah, we're... Uh, I, and that, so that's really a really pretty key key point is where um, the soils are really dry. We're not looking at a lot of rainfall. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how much we get at the end of, end of December. Um, but you know things are very dry out there, um, and we're in for some you know some warm temperatures. So yeah, it's um, is really going to further dry things out. So it's really going to st- and things are stepping up a notch or two in terms of temperatures. So yeah, but, I mean, people have to be really very careful. But Darren, are we going to have the the hot weather in waves? Say you know a week of uh, forty degrees plus, or will we have a, a little spike? It gets into the forties but disappears. Yeah, I'm not. not um, I mean, looking at the the model outlooks for the uh, for sort of pressure patterns, they don't look that sort of high in the Tasman Sea sort of stuff that drags down prolonged periods of heat. So not sort of seeing that so much, which is slightly slightly surprising. So I'm not as um, yeah, it was looking like it could be particularly nasty a few months ago, and I'm I'm just sort of stepping back a notch from that. Um, yeah, it's looking warm. It's definitely looking warm, and uh, you know we'll see we'll see a heat wave in there for sure through January, February, February first half. Of February looks looks um, particularly particularly strong for heat. Um, but uh, yeah, just sort of seeing this signal that of the weather patterns might not be quite so conducive for prolonged heat, which is yeah, good news. It's fascinating how the systems do change, and your ability to be able to interpret what's changing, and where people I think are, were very, very, very concerned about catastrophic heat uh, that they've had in Europe and uh, and uh, uh, America, uh, and uh, I think well. <laughs> At this stage, let's just keep on watching, and we look forward to talking to you very much uh, early in uh, the first week of of December. December, for sure. But before I let you go, someone on the text line, Darren, saying, are these nasty winds going to continue and get worse? It's not just about the temperature and rain. Yeah, so back to back to Henry's point about southeasterlies, and that's that's basically what I'm saying is um, it does look like it'll be more southeasterlies through next few months and through summer in that sort of pressure patterns I'm seeing. And, and just on, um, uh, so yeah, uh, which is, I mean, it's good news from a temperature perspective, not so great in terms of things like gully winds and that sort of stuff. But um, I, I just mentioned, John, like the, I mean, the, just broadly, um, you know, you mentioned the rest of the world, the ocean temperatures look pretty pretty stark. Like, you mm-hmm. know, they're sort of going to be, they are going to look like they're going to be off the charts um, on a global perspective, a global scale. Um, and we do things warm up a bit pretty quickly around Australia, so it does make the um, you know sort of late summer, early autumn a bit interesting. But it does look like we're in for a bit of an Indian summer as well um, in terms of the autumn outlook. But yeah, that's uh, yeah, lots going on. So Darren, <laughs> for the next three months, below average rain, above average temperatures, pretty much all the way through. Yeah. And that yeah. uh, take on board that last one, the potential for an Indian summer, mm. potential for late planting vegetables again. Mm, wow. Yes. Darren, <laughs> fascinating. Look forward very much to you joining the program first Saturday of next month. 
Thanks, John. Thanks, Deb. Thanks, Darren. As always, Darren Ray, our consulting climatologist. So much incredible information in that. And if you would like to listen back to it, you can, of course. This hour is podcast every week. Uh, And if you want to hear it quicker than that, then you can go online to abc.net.au forward slash Adelaide. Look for the uh, weekend's program. Look for today's and you'll be able to listen back to it a bit quicker than that. Now, we are going to take your call. So call in. John's here. He's waiting for your calls. Now is the time to ring in. one three hundred triple two eight nine one. 891 Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe. On ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. We are Talk Back Gardening, so we need you to call in. Ask John any question that you've got on 1300 222 891. Lots of people, of course, at the Christmas pageant. You can still call in for five minutes. Uh, in fact, Jamie McElwain, John, has sent through a photograph. Says, Molly, his daughter, is prepared and ready to start the Christmas pageant as Dorothy on the Yellow Brick Road float. Such an exciting time, and thank you for that picture, Jamie. This text are asking, how do I send photos? Everything might be dry, but my dragon fruit are bounding away. So you just take your photo and send it by a message to us here on our tour, uh, text line, which is zero four six seven nine double two eight nine one. Even easier if you download the ABC Listen app. You'll see that there's a phone icon. If you press that, it will give you the option to ring or text us with just one tap of the app. And John, can you solve this disagreement, please? For Lorraine at Middleton. She's had it between her husband. Does garlic get harvested like onions, i.e. after flowering and dying off, or when flowering hasn't quite happened yet, but there's a slight yellowing of the leaves? Interesting to know which side uh, <laughs> the rain is on and the husband is on. Well, you don't know that, so you can I have don't. a nice unbiased response. Right, let's take a look at Onions and garlic are in the same family. They are very similar in their needs. Right now, the bulbs should be growing and expanding. Then as they start to flower, they stop growing and they, the bulbs need to mature. Now, basically, the longer you leave the bulbs alone in the ground, uh, the drier they become and the longer they will store. So if you're storing either onions or garlic, leave them alone. Uh, But from about flowering, if you wanted to harvest, you can harvest then. You'd have soft bulbs of either onions or garlic. Uh, Then I think if if they do flower, just turn the tops over so that the energy is not going into the flowers. It's going into the bulb itself. And if you wait until either the leaves of the onions or the leaves of your garlic start to go yellow, uh, that's the time when you can really get serious about digging. But the longer you can leave them within reason in the ground, in nice dry ground, obviously once they start to flower, you need to withdraw the water and dry the topsoil. But if you do that, you'll have perfect onions or garlic. Wonderful. There you go, Lorraine. Don't know who won, you or hubby, but anyway, John's giving you his perspective. Uh, call in if you would like to ask John a gardening question. Our phone number again, one three hundred triple two eight nine one. Ben from Angerston has done just that. Welcome, Ben. Good morning. How are you? We're well, thank you, but your daily is not so good. <laughs> My dahlia is dark green and blooming and growing very, very strongly, but I think it's getting attacked by something at night time because every morning I'm getting little holes in the leaves. I've tried a vegetable oil spray um, and I'm now a bit lost. Right. Those holes, are they very perfectly round holes or are they sort of uh, edged? Uh, They're edged, edged holes. They're almost like rectangular holes. I would suggest that you have a weevil problem there, Ben. Uh, And weevils are difficult to control. Uh, They're also hard to control because the normal insecticides don't uh, have much effect on them. You'll find that they're probably in the ground and and in the uh, organic matter around your dahlias. They'll come out... My dahlia is in a raised pot, an 80-litre pot, if that makes any difference. <laughs> no, yeah, and you think it shouldn't happen, but it does. <laughs> Most annoying. Yeah, I mean, they're up the side of the uh, 
pot and up your plant and have a little nip and by the time uh, uh, it's morning time they've disappeared and you think who on earth was that you think it might be a caterpillar and you look at the leaves and you can't find any caterpillars and but it is it's quite likely to be uh, um, uh, weevils i think if you're a you've got many dahlias uh, I have three bulbs in in three pots. Okay. Well, many people have got dahlias, and it's a, per- a per- perpetual problem, at this, particularly at this time of the year. Um, I would suggest the most effective uh, uh, way of controlling them is bathroid. Bathroid. There's a new form of bathroid, bathroid, uh, bathroid advanced. But anyway, the thing is, it's low toxicity. Uh, it's very, very persistent. And uh, it was also toxic, so you just need to be aware that there is toxicity there, but it's not nearly as toxic as many of the other chemicals available. Bathroid is your one of the few chemicals that will control weevils, spray the ground, um, and um, you may or even want to uh, spray your dahlia, and uh, you'll find that if they climb up there, it's both a contact insecticide and also uh, uh, it, it, if it's ingested, uh, that will bowl them over. But uh, there are not many chemicals that are effective against weevils. That is one. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time. Thanks for calling, Ben. I appreciate your call. We can't talk that garden without you. The number is 1300 Thank you to Greenock Joe, uh, who sent through a lovely picture of raspberries about to ripen and, and asks, can you still put liquid foliar? When you've got your raspberries about to open, John? Oh, yes, you can. You'll find that uh, most of the foliar ones, uh, uh, in terms of toxicity, they're, they're not a problem. One presumes that you're going to wash your raspberries or your berries before you eat them. Mm. Um, but putting on a foliar fertiliser, foliar fertilisers are beaut because they act very, very quickly. But you know, it's going to take a week or maybe a longer to get a result. So if you've got uh, an extended harvest coming up and lots and lots of uh, berries, uh, putting on a foliar uh, would be quite okay. But if you're uh, going to sort of eat them within probably the next week, I think it's probably a waste of time. Okay, and it's a really good advice there to always make sure that you wash uh, fruit before you eat it or any of your produce from your garden indeed. Now, Annie is in Kaipo. Uh, Annie, what sort of tree have you got that's got a split trunk? Um, it's a evergreen alder. Right. And yes, what- so um, basically I put this tree in probably about four months ago, I guess. It's actually in my horse's paddock and um, he's actually ended up, even though I had it roped off, one of the branches obviously started to um, feed out and he grabbed hold of it and broke like one of the small branches off. But then I noticed it had actually pulled down a bit further and has actually split the trunk a bit at the top. All right, so if we can imagine a single trunk coming out of the ground and there's, uh, then we get a couple of branches coming out of the main trunk and, and that's where the split is. That's correct. Exactly. Can I save that? Well, yes, uh, depends on the damage. If it's uh, re- reasonable in terms of uh, uh, repair, I would say... Uh, uh, how thick is the stem, the trunk? Oh, it's not really all that thick. It's probably about the size of a little bit bigger than a broom handle. Right, so okay. It's really, it's quite right. tall. If, if it was a larger trunk, I'd say get a, a, a drill and drill a hole through and put a bolt there and bolt the thing yeah. together. But you don't no. need to do that. I would be getting some good uh, uh, tape. You can buy nice tapes and I would be putting that around the trunk and, and just tape it together. Uh, one right. of the, the plastic ones that will expand yeah. uh, uh, as it grows, uh, it needs to be able to expand. So just uh, wrap right. uh, budding tape or something like that and go around two okay. or three, five or six times and just tape it up and just be okay. aware that keep an eye on it back in a, about a month's time. If it, uh, the trunk is starting to swell, uh, take the tape off and put it back on again so that you don't uh, uh, put a, like a, a tourniquet around the trunk. Okay, cool. No worries. So is there anything that I um, would benefit if I actually put in the trunk to uh, help it? Vine, do you know what I mean? Like- yeah, yeah, well, I would be getting probably a, a, a nice sharp blade and, and just 
getting in, uh, the rough edges off and see if you can't join uh, the two edges that are, are, are yeah. apart. If you can join those together, um, there's a chance that they will actually uh, come together and, and form a callus. And, uh, 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 yeah. but, but just be aware that you'll always have a weakness there and it yeah. may also be worthwhile reducing the volume of the canopy. You have branches okay. there and those branches will have leaves on them and it rains, they'll get heavy and that yeah. could uh, uh, exacerbate the problem. By reducing okay. the uh, size of your canopy, I think you've got a better chance of it reforming. All right, lovely. Okay then, thank you for that. Thanks, Annie, for the call. The number is 1300 991. Call in, you'll get straight on to John. I think a lot of people are at the Christmas pageant this morning, John, uh, with their children. And don't forget, later in the program, I've got a couple of Gardening Australia November magazines to give away with heavenly hydrangeas on the cover. So stay tuned for that as well. More of your calls next. We are Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe. This is Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide. John, where are the soil temperatures sitting at the moment? They're sitting around about 17, 17 and a half degrees. Fascinating because October was... Uh, Temperatures were actually average, but we didn't get the sustained warm periods, and normally they would be sort of jumping up to the high 70s, but for 17s, I should say. But in the last two weeks, soil temperatures have actually eased back, not much, just eased back a little bit, and so they're sitting around about 17, 17.5. That's warm enough to stimulate plants into reasonable growth, not super active growth, but from a gardening point of view, not, not bad. There you go. So not too high at the moment. Well, they've sort of been around the 16, 17 degree mark for quite some time, haven't they, John? Yes, they hit 16 uh, probably uh, six weeks ago. Mm. But uh, and they went, got into the 70s. They got up to the high 17s. Uh, <laughs> they've got back into the mid to the lower 17s. But uh, from what Darren Ray is saying, we're into some sustained warmer periods. Yeah. And I think we'll find that they'll get back up into the uh, round about the 18s before. Long. Let's go to Stephen in Parkside. Stephen, what's happening to your citrus tree? Good morning. Good morning, guys. I seem to have a bit of uh, twig dieback, John, um, and I don't, don't know what to do about it. It's an old tree or a young one? Uh, it seems to happen on all of my trees. They're all about uh, less than three years old, but it's sort of different uh, stages. But um, it just seems to be consistently happening across all the different trees I've got. So the dieback, is it on the tips, or if you take a look at halfway into the canopy, it's the side branches? Halfway. Sorry? No, it's, sort of, it's sort of coming out of the main um, the main branch yeah, within the canopy. So like, there's all the younger younger tips seem to be dying back and just, uh, yeah, just able to really brittle, just drawing back. Yes. Something's happening in the root system. Oh, how to find out how. Uh, are we in the ground or in a container? Uh, they're all in the ground. In the ground, right, uh, and and they're three around about three years old. You're suggesting? Yeah, some a couple of them are three years old. So I've got a Tahitian lime and a blood orange that's three years old, and that's that's happening to those two as well. But I've also got some younger mandarin trees, and it's happening to those ones as well. When you planted them, do you recall whether the root system could have been root bound? Uh, no, I did the Ian Tolly method. So I pulled a, pulled the sort of um, the roots apart and separated them and put them out so they try and avoid the. Okay, that's good. That, they, uh, that can be number one enemy, root-bound yep. plants. And we, if we eliminate that, we need to say, righto, uh, there's the tree. It's got its root system. It's trying to grow. And that root system is not providing enough moisture in particular and maybe nutrients to the canopy. Uh, uh. And I would be blaming the weather <laughs> or, or, or your lack of ability <laughs> to, to keep the root system nice and moist. Could that be the well, problem? Well, they're all on an um, irrigation system and they get watered sort of once every four days just to let them dry out and then give them you know, regular watering. On, but, um, on drippers or shrublers? On drippers. Drippers, right. Do you know how many litres of water you're getting each plant? 
Uh, no, not exactly. But uh, they, you know, they've seemed to be, you know, in the last first couple of years, the bigger ones seem to be healthy and getting, you know, the right amount of water. They seem to yes. be thriving. Just bear in mind that if you've got a dripper, um, a dripper sort of tends to put the water like an onion beneath the dripper. And yep. uh, you, do, if you don't have a, a healthy root system uh, that can sort of go wandering and looking for uh, moisture, uh, you'll find that there's a wet spot and there's a lot of dry spot, and it could be uh, that it, it's. It, that could be it, it, it's it's getting too dry. On the other hand, it could also be the other hand. It could be that you're getting too much water. If if you're watering, uh, you need to check to see the number of liters of water. And I would yeah. be putting on uh, probably um, with plants that are three years old at least say uh, ten liters of water once a week. Uh, yeah. If it's nicely mulched, would be probably the most effective way of looking after it. Do you think watering every four days is too often? I think so, yes. Oh, well, it, I, I can't say without seeing it. You need to yeah. get a trowel, get down and Find and, get, and go down about 10 centimetres and just feel the soil. Mm. If it's nice yeah. and evenly moist all around, you're going okay. If you go down and it's soggy wet, you're getting too much yeah. water too often. If it's dry, that's the answer. All right, easy. Thanks, Thanks Stephen. Hope you get it solved and <laughs> get those citrus uh, not in dieback. We've got a lot of calls now, John. Alan's in North Adelaide. Alan, good morning. What's happening to your daffodils? Hey, how are you, Deb? G'day, John. Um, I had a beautiful display in sort of uh, August and September, and now they've died away, all the leaves have died, and the flower stalks still remain green. And I'm still continuing to water them, but I was wondering, when should I dig them up and uh, store the bulbs again, John? Once the leaves have died down, you mentioned that the flower stalks are still there. Chop them off at the base. They're of no value. They're taking energy away from your bulb. Leave the leaves alone and uh, uh, probably keeping it reasonably moist without going overboard. Uh, The longer you can leave the leaves there, the more energy they store for next year's flowers. So let nature take its course. When those leaves die down naturally, uh, leave them for a couple of weeks after they've died down, dig them up, store them, and you're ready to go next season. Well done, John. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> well done, Alan, for calling in on one three hundred triple two eight nine one. Des is in Middleton. Des, you are eating some Brussels sprouts at the moment. Um, I've got uh, I've got Brussels sprouts growing. Yes, and <laughs> something else is eating them before I get a chance to eat them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, tough bananas, there, kid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can yeah. you describe the way they're being eaten? Is the sprouts or the leaves being eaten, or both? Um, uh, it's the sprouts, John, uh, and there's like pinholes through all of them, and uh, I've dissected a couple, and I'm finding tiny little sort of worm-like things, probably about a quarter of an inch long in old speech, um, and they're through all of them. Um uh, so just wondering if you might be able to suggest what it might be. Quite I likely, have seen yeah. uh, uh, cabbage moss around the area. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it could be. Uh, if they're little holes, it's more likely to be a, a light brown apple moth. They're tiny. They're, they're smaller little caterpillars, uh, small green ones. And when you touch them, they loop up and uh, they drop to the ground very, very quickly. Hard to catch. So um, I would suspect that's your problem, um, and particularly, presumably, your sprouts are pretty uh, mature at the moment. You might find that the little caterpillars are inside uh, the little sprouts themselves. Yes, I've been cutting some sprouts open, and I've just been down in the garden this morning. Okay. Look, your your safest bet is to use Success Ultra. Success Ultra is a spinosad. It's just a natural bacterium, not toxic uh, you can uh, uh, probably got a one-day withholding period. Make sure you read the directions. Uh, but if you yeah. spray that, but the thing is, it, it, it's not systemic. It's, it, it'll only coat the outside. So if the caterpillar comes out, it'll get bowled over. If it stays inside the sprout, <laughs> you're, you're not going to be able to beat it, I don't think. You're going to have to eat the, the caterpillar as well as the sprout. 
Um, the garden, oh, I, I do grow the garden as an organic garden, John. Is success suitable in that sort of situation? Interesting. Or? When it first came out, it was registered as a, as an organic fertiliser, uh, as an organic chemical. Um, but because of the rules, um, it can't be registered as organic because it's not completely organic. But uh, the new technology is coming through and it's changed and no longer are they using toxins to cool things. They're using uh, different methods. And uh, this one actually just stops the caterpillars from eating and they starve right um so is there anything which is more organic um so to speak that, that i could use um, rather than success uh like what <laughs> Um, yes, I, I don't know. I'm asking uh, you. Well, that's right. Yeah, yeah. In my opinion, no. Um, you could use neem, but I don't like making neem because of uh, other side effects. Most of the chemicals uh, um, have downsides, and all I'm suggesting is having studied the situation for a long time, um, yes. you can use an oil spray, but an oil spray is not going to have any effect on your sprouts. Um, so in terms of that particular situation, I'm not aware of a, of a, a, a commercially available organic product that will beat success in terms of its cost effectiveness and its environmental effectiveness. And Des in Middleton, Tim from Prospect says, rest assured it's not me or my kids eating the Brussels sprouts. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? <laughs> Thanks, Des. Hope it goes well for you. Uh, Jill's in Mount Barker with a lily pilly question. Hi, Jill. Hello. Um, yes, I, I'm seeking John's wisdom, really. Um, I have uh, two very tall lily pillies. And in Mount Barker, in these new estates, I, I really value these trees. And it has curl leaf. And I was just wondering if you could tell me what to do. Little pimples on the leaves? Yes. Yeah, okay, right. They're psyllids. They're yes. sap-sucking insects. Yes. And uh, because they're inside those little pimples, most insecticides have absolutely no effect in controlling it. Yes. Um, your most effective method of controlling it is with a systemic chemical, and it contains imidacloprid. Uh, yep. It's often sold as Confidor, but there are other brands of it onto the market now. And if yep. you spray the plant, it will be absorbed into the leaves and uh, it will then control your psyllids. I don't like recommending that for lily pillies simply because they're about to flower soon and the chemical oh, yes. will get into the flower and could affect the bees. So I it's not, it's not yeah. an easy situation. Oh, um, dear. Um, all I would be doing is removing, if you can, uh, just uh, often you'll find that the, the psyllids are affecting the tip growth. If you just take off the tip growth and drop them onto the ground and leave them on the ground because the little predators will sort of then sort of munch up and, and continue. But the mm -hmm. important thing is uh, just tip pruning and try and not overstimulate your plants, particularly early in spring because it's the early yeah. new growth that's more likely to attract the psyllids. Yes, well, I have looked. The low, it's the lower area, but, of course, the tree is very tall and yes. it doesn't appear to be up there. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, I will try that. Um, I, you did mention a bathroid. That would be no good. Uh, boy, but no, bathroid is a contact. It's, it stays on the surface, and right. you need something that gets into where the little insects, the sap-sucking insects, are, are eating or are feeding. And unless you can stop them from feeding, uh, you mm. can't control them. Okay, well, thank you very much for that. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks, Jill, for calling in. Uh, Myra is in Meningi. Uh, Myra, your mango isn't fruiting. What, what's happening to it? I don't know. That's the question. I've had it now in, this is the fourth year. The first year it flowered and it had a little little fruit on, thing, biggest fingernail, and that sort of fell off. And then the next year, a bit more. And last year it had a big fruit on as big as my thumb and that fell off so um, what I'm doing wrong am I watering at the wrong time or where do I go? I suspect mm. it's where you are and uh, the probably lack of warmth Mangoes are heat-loving plants, and they need persistently uh, warm, dry conditions. Well, it's through. against the north, the north side of the shed. Yeah. Okay. Well, you can create the right kind of uh, eco climate around it, 
Um, but I'm just aware that in Mending you get lots of cooler weather, mm. uh, particularly and cooler, some wind w- too. Oh, winds, but yeah, and, and, and night temperatures. So it, a lot, it's a lot to do with temperatures. And, and uh, oh right, well this year it's been fairly cold at night time. Yeah. Maybe yeah. I'll cover it. I'm determined sort of to get it going. I no, rang well, about four years ago and you said, well, if I didn't get fruit, I'd have a nice shade tree. Where <laughs> it hasn't grown. That okay, far well keep yet. going because you'll find that as it, it matures, it'll toughen up and it's more likely to hold on to its fruits. Uh, I mean, we haven't looked at the possibility. It could be overstimulating. You're putting on a little bit too much water and fertiliser. It's growing uh, vigorously, and mm. that is reducing its ability to set well, fruit. I do or don't. Citrus mm. fertiliser would be the, be yeah, the well, thing, would it, it? Just bring it up tougher so that uh, you, you, you've got enough nutrient for it to grow and the leaves to be nice and dark green. But yeah, if, it's yeah. pro- if it's producing lots of new growth, back off on the fertiliser and maybe also on the water. Yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you very, very much. Thanks, Myra. Uh, If you have not won anything from ABC Radio Adelaide in the last month and you would like to win yourself a brand-new November Gardening Australia magazine, I've got two to give away, but I would need you to answer this question. What is on the front cover? of the November Gardening Australia magazine. Call in now on 1300 222 891. This is Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide. John, earlier you were talking about psyllids and Jamie McElwain has said, I've had 100% success using Success Ultra for psyllids for those listeners wanting a soft option. Okay, that's interesting. Thanks, Jamie, because uh, I mentioned that you need something that's it's systemic. And if you look at the properties of success, it's what they call translamina. So it doesn't go into and around the plant, but it is absorbed into the leaf and it stays in the leaf, and that's where the psyllids are. Excellent. Jamie, thank you very much. <laughs> and congratulations to Margaret in Port Lincoln and Kay in Mount Barker, who correctly identified that there are heavenly hydrangeas on the cover of the November Gardening Australia magazine. We'll get those sent out to you. And I think we've got time before we introduce our new, brand new photographic competition, John, to take another call. Let's speak to Ye, who is in Loxton. Ye, you've got a bit of a white fly problem. I do, and in the past I've taken advice and used white oil, but it's on my salvias that they have the biggest problem. I kill the salvia when I spray with the white oil. Um, so I'm wondering, is there something else? I've tried this year to move, keep the salvias at the front of my house and um, other things that they're on are on the parsley and the mint. Well, that, I don't care too much about that. I can deal with that. But on the salvias... Uh, it just kills them when I spray with the mint, the white oil. So you spray it with, oh, okay, white oil. Uh, change to a horticultural oil. Um, uh-huh. It's a hobby horse of mine. White oil, there's confusion out there. And white oil, sometimes the, the white oils are horticultural oils. Sometimes they're not. They're thick and uh, they are likely to cause damage to the, the leaf. Uh, that's why I was surprised that if you're using an oil spray, it's causing damage to your salvias. Get either Eco Oil or Pest Oil. They are the two brands out there that are readily available. Both of those are very, very light horticultural oils. The likelihood of them causing damage to uh, plants, except maybe maiden hairs and things like that, is pretty low. Um, You might also take a look at uh, potassium soaps. Potassium soaps should be more readily available. Uh, They are uh, like an oil. They have the same effect of a smothering effect, um, and they are very, very effective. And uh, often the combination of a horticultural oil, the eco or pest oil, with a potassium soap uh, will give you uh, excellent control. Now, those potassium soaps, you'll find them either available as Natra Soap is one brand, and Ecofend. Ecofend is uh, put out by a Queensland company coming into South Australia. But uh, again, they're the, the only two brands of potassium soaps that are regularly available at garden centres. Natra Soap, uh, and make sure it's Natra Soap for uh, containing potassium soaps. And uh, Ecofend is the other one, both containing those potassium soaps, uh, either by themselves or with a horticultural oil, very effective. 
Thanks, yay. Um, our last caller in Talkback Gardening this morning. Just coming back to a couple of issues you've already dealt with, John, and some suggestions on the text line. This texter says sprouts might have diamond back Diamondback moth oh, yes, in right. them. Yeah, just a, a, a variation of a cabbage white butterfly. But the diamondback moth develops resistance to chemicals so very, very quickly. Uh, the chemical companies are all the time coming out with a new control for diamondback moth simply because of that resistance. But uh, yeah, there we are. Not and an easy one. In relation to the mangoes in Meningi, this text says mangoes flower from the tips of the new stems. Let Myra know that a prune could promote more new tips and increase the production of flowers. More flowers equals more potential to set viable fruit. Thank you. Good tip. Thank you. Now, I'm excited. We are going to introduce a new photographic competition and it's got everything, hasn't it, John, to do with National Pollination Week. It begins on the 11th of November, runs through the, to the 18th of November. Gardeners are showing a lot of interest in pollination, either getting the right flowers, or plants in the garden that will flower, which will attract the pollinating insects. And, of course, they're fascinated by the different kind of insects. And it's not just bees. There are, would you believe, flies are just, I won't say, very, very effective as pollinators, beetles, flies, uh, spiders. There are so many pollinators out there. So we want to know what's happening in your garden and the best way to do that is through a competition exactly so what we're asking you to do it's a bit of a photographic citizen science project isn't it john uh, is to encourage you to identify and celebrate the powerful pollinators in your garden and we would love you to send one photo this is the thing you can take as many as you like but send us your best one photograph of your most effective home garden pollinator, as you said, John, be it a flower, be it an insect, um, whichever, whichever your best shot is, send it to our Talkback Gardening Powerful Pollinator Photographic e- Competition. And in 40 words or less, don't give us, you know, pages, but just give us a little bit of an idea of why it's such an effective pollinator in your garden. Yes, yes. And how much time have they got to get the photo in? Right. Okay. So I'll just tell you about the prizes first. We're going to have five prizes and the best photograph is going to win the beautiful book Good Life Growing by Gardening Australia's Hannah Maloney it's a gorgeous book it's sitting on my desk right now I hope to have a quick flick before I send it off to somebody and uh, runners up and there'll be four of them will receive a package of back issues of ABC Gardening Australia and ABC Organic Gardener magazines because the information in those never goes out of date absolutely yes they are seasonal so you can have a look through those all entries must include your name, your postal address and your telephone number and we'll announce the winners on Saturday's breakfast um, talk about gardening on the 18th of November. So you've only got until Monday the 13th of November. Close of business. put the rider on it that the winner, we would like to be able to p- f- uh, publish that photo at least and maybe some of the All other of photos them. in the Good Gardening newsletter. All of them. I think that anyone that, if you send it in, please know that ABC Radio Adelaide and John's Good Gardening newsletter might uh, actually reuse those to post them. So if you don't want that to happen, don't send it in to us. That will be one of the terms <laughs> and conditions. And here's the email address you need to do it. So don't send it through on our text line, even though we're celebrating the fact that that's working again. Our um, Entry needs to be via the email, and this is the address, Adelaide Weekends, that's with an S, Adelaide Weekends at abc.net.au. It's open from today. It closes on Monday the 13th of November. One entry each, a description of 40 words or less, and please, you must include your full name, your suburb and your phone number. And, of course, the reason we're doing this is because it's Pollination Week yeah. or Fortnight coming up and Citizen Science is involved and getting the community involved. But the important thing is in two weeks' time, Katia Hogendorn, the wonderful entomologist that specialises in Australian native bees, but she's going to be in the studio talking all about pollinators, so make sure we don't miss that program. No, and we might get her to judge the best. And can I say to whoever the, the wonderful texter that sent the thro- photograph through of a bee which says they should be kind to spiders week they help to keep fly numbers down 
Please send that photo through for the competition to Adelaide Weekends at abc.net.au. Can't wait to see what you come up with. There are always so many photos. John, we're just about out of time. It is November. You'll be having a busy weekend in the beautiful gardening weather. Yes, it's the first month, the first weekend of the month. And from now on, during summer, I give my plants in containers a liquid fertiliser. Starting this month and every month, they'll get a full strength one uh, today and then uh, half strength after that but until next week i'll say good gardening